Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, by loving others, and by making disciples. That is who we are, that's what we do, and that's how we do it. If you look around today and you are wondering where all the women are, if you're wondering why all the men are more scruffy than usual, if you wonder if my daughter dressed herself, everything is because the women are not on uh, the women's retreat. We've got about 15 to 20 women yeah, out at Camp Spofford uh, this weekend, and from everything I've heard over the phone, it's been a really sweet, sweet time. They're going through, uh, they're in Exodus, and they're going through the Golden Path narrative. <laughs> they're just keeping it light. <laughs> uh, out there in Exodus. Um, but I know it's a sweet time for them. I know one of the main reasons they wanted to go is just a chance for uh, people to get to know each other. In our church, in a time to get to know each other by looking at the Word of God together. And even just by looking at the list, it's half women who've been here for more than two or three years, half women that have been here for less than two years. Um, and this is a great chance for something like that. I uh, hope the men can do something like this someday. But we are in the book of John. John chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 13, verses 31 through 14, 14. That's where we are today. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the upper room. This is the Last Supper, the Last Supper that Jesus is going to share with his disciples before his betrayal, his death, and his resurrection. And so last week when we were in the upper room, Jesus was warning and preparing his disciples for the betrayal that's happening. And he was warning them and reminding them to keep going. Once he dies, keep going and keep believing. Keep believing that he is God, that everything is going according to plan. This week, Jesus shifts his focus a little bit, but he's still talking about the fact that he is going. He, Jesus, is about to go. He's about to leave the world. In fact, eight different times in this passage, either the word go or going is used. This is the theme of this passage. And so really, for most of this passage, we see kind of a Q&A between Jesus and his disciples. They're asking questions about where he's going, why he's going, how they can follow him to where he's going. But what we see by the end of the passage is not only is Jesus going, but he's going for a reason. When we're in this passage today, we're going to see what that reason is and what that means for us. This is not a light passage. I don't mean that in in an emotionally heavy way, but it's dense. It's dense with a lot of beauty. Um, So my prayer today as I was getting ready to come and preach it is that God would help me be clear, but also that uh, he would help you uh, track along with the amazing, beautiful things, because at the end, there is a reward. (laughs) The beautiful picture that we see at the end of this is worth the effort of getting to. So let me pray before diving into this passage, and then I will read it. Heavenly Father, we need you to open our eyes and soften our hearts to hear your word. Holy Spirit, do that in us now as we read. In Jesus' name, amen. 1331. When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, 
that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The word that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Easy passage, right? (laughs) Let's pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we, we read passages like this. And we're just reminded how thick and how dense your word is. That we could spend a half hour right now looking into one of these verses, but God, you have a message here. You inspired John to give us a message in this group of passages. So Lord, show us what that message is. The message that you have for us today is bold. It is beautiful. Help us see it. Help us worship through it. So God, we give you this time. Work in us and change us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Jesus and his disciples, again, in the upper room, celebrating the Passover supper, the last supper before Jesus is betrayed and killed and resurrected. And lastly, Jesus sends Judas out, and really the machinery of this whole evening has been set into motion. Jesus is about to be betrayed. And all this is happening because the hour has come, the hour that Jesus has been looking forward to throughout his entire ministry, or maybe not looking forward to, but has been pointed toward his entire ministry. And now, in this passage, Jesus says, in verse 31, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. 
Now, the language of that passage is enough to kind of send your head spinning a little bit, right? But if we slow down and we look at it and we think about it, really, what these two verses are saying is that when Jesus goes to the cross, his death on the cross is going to do two things. It's going to glorify himself and the Father at the same time. But what does that mean? What is glory? And what does it mean to glorify? What does it mean to give glory to someone else? Well, let's just start with that first question. What is glory? When we talk about the glory of God, what we're talking about is His majesty. We're talking about His splendor. When we're talking about the glory of God, what we're talking about, very literally, is His awesomeness. And that is the best word for it. His awesomeness. Uh, the, the qualities in Him that cause us to be in awe. So in the ancient world, people used to talk about the glory of Rome. And the reason they would talk about the glory of Rome is because Rome was like unlike any other city in the entire ancient world. No matter where you were from, when you came to Rome, it was unlike anything you'd ever seen before. And so what did it cause you to do? It caused you to stand in awe. To look at this city and just go, wow. That's what glory is. When we look at God, we recognize that he is unlike any other being in the universe that his majesty and his splendor and his power makes everything else look dull and gray, that is his glory. And that's what we mean when we say that he is glorious and he is awesome. He is awesome in splendor and majesty. So what does it mean to give glory? If that's what God's glory is, what does it mean that we give it to him? Because obviously, God doesn't need us to give it to him. God is glorious and majestic in and of himself. He doesn't need us to give him that glory. So what does that mean to glorify or to give glory to God? Well, let, let me describe to you what it looks like. When we give glory to God, what we do is we see God in his glory and we respond appropriately. We see him in his glory and we respond by praising and enjoying and delighting him in his awesomeness. And the act of being in awe, in and of itself, brings glory to God. And then after that, we seek to serve and obey Him, purely because we know that delighting Him is the goal. That when we find our delight in Him, He is delighted in that. So even just a moment ago, when we were singing, we sang these words, Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. When we tell God how awesome he is, he is glorified. He is pleased. He is delighted. And luckily for us, we find delight in delighting the one we love. I mean, every husband and every wife gets that. We know how much it delights us to see the smile on the other person's face. And this is just like the delight that God feels when we delight in him. But God, from eternity past, has been receiving glory, not from mankind, but from himself. Because our God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been delighting in each other from eternity and working for the delight of one another from eternity. And so here in this passage, when we read that Jesus is going to glorify the Father by his death on the cross, what we're seeing is that Jesus' obedience in going to the cross is out of a desire to give glory to the Father. 
It's out of a desire to do the will of the Father. Everything that Jesus does in his life, and then ultimately by going to the cross, is for the ultimate end of making God's glory shine about him in the world. And all of this, again, it might be a little bit confusing. It's going to be necessary by the time we come to the end of this passage. But here's the point. When Jesus goes to the cross, his love-fueled obedience will glorify the Father. And then the Father will turn around and glorify him by bringing him and reuniting him to his eternal glory in heaven. And the time has come for that to happen. The time has come in Jesus' life for him to return to the Father in glory. Verse 33, he talks about his going. Verse 34 and 35, he returns again to this whole idea of giving them an example to follow in loving one another. We looked at that a couple weeks ago with the foot washing, and we will again in chapter 15. But now at this point, starting in verses 36 and on, the disciples are going to start asking Jesus some questions. They have some questions about his going. Where are you going? Why are you going? How can we go with you? And as we dive in here, the rest of our passage is going to be steered with these questions. So three disciples asking three questions, and Jesus gives three answers. That's what we're going to see now. Three disciples asking three questions, and Jesus replies with three answers. Let's look at question number one, verses 36 through 14, 4. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So really, this first question has two parts, as is is pretty clear here. The two questions in one is really this. Lord, where are you going And why can I not follow you now? Where are you going? And why can I not follow you now? If you remember back at the feet washing passage, uh, Peter's interaction with Jesus, uh, it kind of went back and forth a little bit. But it was clear to us what Peter's heart was in all of it. Here again in this passage, it's pretty easy to see what Peter's heart is in this conversation. He's basically saying something like this. Wait, Jesus, you're you're leaving? Okay, well, then I'm coming too. I I can't come? Why why can't I come? Jesus, I would do anything to be with you. The heart of Peter in this passage is that he is desperate to be with his Lord. And that even though Jesus first prophesies that his denial is coming, Jesus then responds and speaks to Peter by doing two things. Tenderly and compassionately comforting him and then answering his questions. And so the first thing he does in verse 1 is he comforts Peter. He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And Jesus is actually comforting the hearts of all the disciples. This is, this is a, that he's speaking to everyone here. But he cares deeply for the hearts of his disciples. And he's encouraging them in the same way that he encouraged them last week. Keep believing. When I'm gone, 
Keep believing and keep going. And then he continues to answer Peter's two questions, where and why. The first answer is in verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So where is Jesus going? Jesus is going to his father's house. And when Jesus talks about his father's house, he's not talking about a brick and mortar building. That's not, that's not the point that he's trying to get at. What Jesus is trying to talk about is he's trying to indicate the location where someone dwells. That's what a house is. And so when he talks about the house of, of the father, the house of God, Jesus is saying that he is going back to the presence of God. That's the point he's trying to make. He's going to where the Father is reigning in glory, where he dwells, the realm that he inhabits. He's going back into God's eternal glory with which he has been united from eternity past. Jesus, where are you going? I'm going back to where I was. I'm going back to my Father's presence. And the second question is why? Why can I not go with you now? And we see that answer in the second part of verse 2 and in verse 3. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. That word you is is plural here. He's saying, I go to prepare a place for y'all, for you guys. And if I go and prepare a place for you guys, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, y'all may be also. So Peter can't go with Jesus now for a reason. And the reason that Peter can't go with him now is because Jesus needs to go and prepare a place for him and for the disciples, and for us. And then later, he's going to come again and get them, and he will bring them into the eternal glory that Jesus shares with his Father. Jesus is going to prepare a place for the disciples so that he can come again and bring them to where he is. What a beautiful picture, man. So question number one, Jesus, where are you going, and why can't I follow the answer? I'm returning to the Father's presence so that I can prepare a place for you, for all of us, forever in the Father's glory. That's where Jesus is going. And that's why Jesus is going now. So now the disciples know where, the disciples know why, but now there's another question, and that is question number two, starting in verse five, five through seven. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So at the end of the last passage in verse 4, Jesus ends by saying, and you know where I am going. But apparently that was a little presumptuous because Thomas didn't know where Jesus was going. What Thomas says in verse 5 is, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? In other words, Jesus, we don't know where your daddy lives. How can we get there? How can we know the way to your father's house if we don't know where your father's house is? And Jesus replies, I am the way. I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. But now... Sorry, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is explaining here. He says, the way to my father's house is, it's not a path to be taken. It's not a road to be followed. The way to my father's house is not a list of works or deeds that you need to do to get there. The way to my father's house is a person 
to be known. If you want to get into the presence of my Father, it's not anything that you can do. It's not any place that you can go. You have to know someone. You have to know me. Thomas asks, how can we know the way? And Jesus' answer is another question. He goes, well, you want to know the way? Do you know me? Do you know me? Because I am the way. I am the way to God. And not just the way, but also the truth and the life. In fact, he says, I am the way precisely because I am the truth and the life. I am the way because I am the truth of God incarnate, the Word made flesh. I am the way to the Father's house because I am the life of God. I am the one who lives in union with God, and I am the one who gives life to all who believes in God and believes in me. And even still more remarkable and still more offensive and provocative here, he says, I am not just a way to the Father, but I am the way to the Father. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so for us today, we think about this passage and, and, and we just think, you know, our, our works, our, even our right thinking and doctrine, they will not get us to the Father. We can't know enough. We can't do enough. The only way to be in the presence of the Father is by knowing the one who came from the presence of the Father. Is by being united to the one who has gone back into the presence of the Father. The only way to get to the Father is through Jesus. So Peter asks the question, where are you going and why can't I come? Jesus answers, he is going to the Father's house to prepare a place for us. Then Thomas asks, how can we know the way? Jesus answers, I am the way, the only way. And by this point in the passage, things must be getting pretty clear for the disciples, right? They must kind of start understanding what it is that Jesus is trying to communicate. Not exactly. Because when we move on, we see that there is a highly contagious strain of foot and mouth disease going around the disciples. And Peter and Philip is about to pipe up and prove that he's caught it as well. So this is question number three, starting in verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. You can hear Jesus' exasperation in verse 9 when he says, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? And I mean, of course he's exasperated. We think back over the things that Jesus has taught and shown his disciples over the last couple of years, and he's actually already said all these things to them already. We can see this in passages before. Here in, verses, in chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, we read this, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And then in verse 10, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But that's exactly what he said in John chapter 10, verse 30, when he says, I, am in the fa- I and the Father are one. John 14, 10 again, he says that the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But Jesus has already said that as well. 
He said that in chapter 12, verse 49, when he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And then, here in 10 as well, he says, The Father who dwells in me does his works. But Jesus has said that also in John chapter 5, verse 19, where he said, Whoever, Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So, Philip, you ask me to show you the Father. Well, that's exactly what I've been doing for a couple years now. Because I am God in the flesh. I am the image of the invisible God. I am united eternally with the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. I speak the words of the Father. I do the works of the Father. The Father and I are one. So again, Peter asks, where are you going and why can't I come? And Jesus answers, I am going to the Father's house to prepare a place for all of you. Then Thomas asks, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. And then Philip asks, show us the Father. And Jesus replies, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, I think you're starting to see just how beautiful, but also how confusing this passage can be. Because there is so, so, so much here. But I think that when we see all of this and we boil it down, there's really two things that we must absolutely see in this passage. And there are three verses still at the end we haven't even talked about. But the thing is, we can't even look at those passages before we distill the message of everything else up to this point. Because if we jump to the last three verses without understanding the rest of this passage, we're going to walk away with a very wrong conclusion here. So what is the message that Jesus has been teaching so far in this passage? From 1331 to 1411, what is Jesus showing us? Well, I think there's two very, very important things to see before we jump to the last three verses. And the first one is this. This passage shows us who Jesus is and his relationship with the Father. That's the first thing. Who Jesus is and his relationship with the Father. We see that in the first two verses when he's talking about glory. And we also see that in Jesus' answer to Philip's question near the end there. That's verses 8 through 11. All of this shows us who Jesus is and his relationship with the Father. And here's who he is. Jesus is one with God, the Father. He shares in the glory of the Father. The Father's glory is, is Jesus' glory. And Jesus' glory is the Father's glory. Because Jesus is God the Son. He's the second member of the Trinity. He has shared eternally and given glory to God the Father. And the Father has shared His glory eternally and given glory to the Son. What a beautiful, amazing, delightful relationship. It's a perfect community of glory eternally given and enjoyed. So the first thing that we need to see in this passage is this. That Jesus has known this glorious unity with the Father from eternity past. And now... He's returning to it. And I think we have to pause just right now for a minute and just recognize how awesome that is. Just recognize how beautiful that description is. A perfect relationship of love and delight where each member longs for the delight of the other. And again, the only image that we have of this that we can conceive of is an absolutely perfect, sinless marriage. So imagine in your marriage, if there was no sin no selfishness, if you were perfectly sanctified and had a perfect heart, you as a husband 
would long for the delight of your wife. Nothing would thrill you more than to see a smile on your wife's face. And then at the exact same time, wives, you have the exact same love and delight for your husband where nothing thrills you so much as seeing a smile on your husband's face. Can you imagine what an amazing battle for, for each other's delight that would be? And that's the type of marriage God calls us to, but that's the type of community that the Trinity has shared with each other from the beginning of time. They have eternally delighted in each other and longed and sought for the glory of the other. That is what this beautiful dance that has been going on for eternity. And that's what Jesus has shared with the Father and the Spirit forever. So just pause and think about how beautiful that is. How awesome that is. Because it's only once we grasp how beautiful that is that we can really appreciate how beautiful the second point I have here is. Because the first thing this passage shows us is who Jesus is and his relationship with the Father. But the second thing is that Jesus invites us into that glory. The glory that God has shared and delighted in eternally, he invites us into. Jesus, it says in this passage, has prepared a place for us to go with him and to live in the Father's glory. And not only that, but through him, he has given a way for us to get there. So that if we know him, if we trust him, if we believe in him, we know the way to be in the presence and the glory of God forever. If we know him, if we trust him, if we believe in him, we are in Christ and we too get to share in the glory of God for eternity. Then in Christ, we too get to share in the giving of glory for eternity as well. And we get to do that through delighting in who he is, just like we do now. And we get to do that by obeying who he is as well. That's our future. In fact, that's our present. (laughs) By faith, we are united with Christ. And we are united not just with Christ, but with the entire Trinity through Christ. And maybe all that sounds very amorphous and very future-focused, but in reality, that changes the way we live right now. And that's exactly what we see in the last three verses. So let's read these last three verses together, verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And here's the point. Just as the Son longs and desires for, the God, for God to be glorified, just as he longs and desires for God's will to be done in his words and his works. Now we who are in Christ will find that we naturally long and desire to do the exact same thing. We who share in the glory of Christ will naturally long and, and desire for God's glory to be lifted up. For his name to be made great. For him to be magnified. We will long to glorify God like Jesus in our words. We're asking ourselves this question, does saying this delight the heart of God? Do the words that I speak to my friends, to my wife, to my kids, to strangers, does that delight the heart of God? 
And not just our words, but also our works. We'll be asking ourselves, do we glorify God in our works? Does what I'm doing delight the heart of God? Does what I'm doing show God's glory to the people around us, even to the point of death? And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you've not believed in him and trusted in him, if you've not found him to be the way to the Father, then really thinking about your deeds right here is kind of putting the cart before the horse. Because the reality is, if you don't know the Father, you are not glorifying him. The only way to glorify the Father is by, through Christ, being in eternal relationship with him. So if that's not you this morning, I encourage you, put your trust in Jesus Christ. He wants that relationship with you. And if you want to talk more about that, talk, talk to me. Really talk to anybody who brought you this morning. Talk to one of the elders here. We would love to talk to you about that. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ and you are united to the glory of God forever, then here's my encouragement for you. Let this be a filter for you in the way that you live. Asking yourself this question and all you say and all you do, does this delight the heart of God? Do my words, do my works, do my attitudes, do my feelings, do those things delight the heart of God? And what can I do to bring my life fully into conformity with the will of the Father? Jesus is glorified by our desire to live lives that glorify him. And the more we do that, the more he is worshipped, but also the more we do that, the more the world will see a witness of what glory God has actually given to us. The more the world will see how glorious our God is. So ask yourself continually, be free, does this glorify God? Do my words, do my deeds, do they magnify his majesty? My prayer is that we would find hope by faith in Jesus Christ and then live lives that show his glory to the world around us. Will you pray with me?